Remember, Satan is on a mission to deceive the whole world, especially the elect, especially the Christians. And to a large degree, he is successful. The issues behind the scenes would blow our minds if we understood the issues that are behind the scenes. It would be so out of sync with what we're seeing. It's, it's, for most people, it's hard to believe. Look, the state of Israel has more to do with Hamas than, than a lot of people realize or imagine. Okay, What's happening now has every, every indication that this conflict could grow and, and develop to a, on a much, much bigger scale because there, there is a plan, there is an agenda behind the scenes. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The news currently, as you might be well aware, is dominated by the war in the Middle East. And today I'm not going, going to add to what we are being bombarded with day by day in the news, but I do want to look at things from a biblical perspective. Because when these things occur, such as the war in the Middle East, all of a sudden you find that all eyes are on Israel, and currently that is the case. The eyes of the world are all on Israel, and naturally uh, people are taking sides in this conflict. And the people who take sides in the conflict, many times they feel very strongly about the side that they are sympathetic with. And there is a certain uh, tendency to get caught up in what is going on. Politically, of course, it is well known that the U.S. has been a historical ally to the nation of Israel. So in this current round of violence, it is no surprise that America is strongly in support of Israel. President, Secretary of State, sympathetic. The Secretary of State actually happens to be Jewish himself. So it helps to be Jewish, to care about the Jewish nation and the Jewish cause. But that's not the only reason. Obviously, this has been the historical position of America. Now, I say this current round of violence because what is happening now, currently, this war, is something that keeps happening time and again. And sadly, it will continue and it will grow. What really matters to us today and what we want to focus on is what is the biblical perspective for what is happening around us? How should we view things from, from the perspective of the Bible? That's really what matters, not the political perspective. Today, there are many, many Christians, many Christian churches, Christian pastors who make a very public, staunch stand with Israel, the political nation of Israel. They support the Jewish cause and the Jewish people. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister of Israel uh, continues to use scripture to defend the Israeli war on Gaza. And this is not just a, a, you know an occasional reference. This, this keeps happening. Here's another news article talking about, about that. All-time religion, Netanyahu invokes scripture as Hamas fight becomes Israel's holy war. And so in light of that, it's not surprising that so many Christians, particularly evangelical Christians, feel that when Israel is at war, it is their duty to support Israel, to stand with Israel. Some of these Christian leaders actually say that when Israel is at war, you are watching Bible prophecy being fulfilled before your eyes. And uh, since Israel is in the Bible, and Israel is God's people, so we side with the nation of Israel today. And the embedded idea here is that they see the nation of Israel today as an extension or a continuation of God's ancient people, Israel. Now, it's important to note that historically, the nation of Israel were God's people. But it's important to understand 
that a transition has occurred. And we need to look at that from the Bible. The modern day state of Israel was not created by a miracle of God. It was actually uh, by an edict of the United Nations in 1948. Keep that in mind because we're going to look at that. But this is the thing. A lot of people understand or assume that the nation of Israel today is simply the continuation of the ancient people of God, Israel. Is this the case or not? Biblically, what can we learn so that we can correctly discern what is going on around us and not be distracted and not be bombarded and not be doubtful in our understanding when we see an overwhelming tide? going whichever way. I want to be clear here in, at the outset in talking about this topic, I'm not in a, either overtly or covertly trying to take any particular side, as you will see, as will become very apparent and clear, hopefully, as we go along. So whatever comments and points I make that seem to be, oh, he's negative on this side, he must be on the other side, I will tell you very clearly which side I'm on as we progress and it'll be very apparent. But this is the question we really need to ask, and we're going to be asking a number of questions today. What makes an Israelite? Is it the citizenship? Is it holding citizenship in the current state of, is, uh, of Israel? Is this what makes an Israelite? Is it important for us to keep our eyes on the state of Israel? All eyes are on Israel now, like I said. Is this important for us to do, particularly in a spiritual com context, particularly from a prophetic context. So today's study, we're going to be talking about the biblical perspective. We're not going to be talking about the political perspective. The Bible perspective is what really matters to you if you are a Christian. We're going to be looking at a number of questions and we'll find the answers to them from the Bible together. Here are the questions I want to address today together. First one, who is the true Israel of God? Can you get an Israeli citizenship? And if so, how? What is God's mystery? What are the times of the Gentiles? And finally, what does this mean for you and me today? Five questions we'll be addressing together today and see the answer from the Bible. And as it all comes together, all the answers to these questions lead to each other and you see the connection between them. But what we're doing is we are looking at the biblical perspective because this is really what matters. We'll start with question one. Who is the true Israel of God? today? A very important question. This is, this is really the one that really sets the, the stage for everything that follows. So we want to start with the, with the vital question. There is a famous rabbi, a famous Jewish rabbi, who articulated the answer to this question very clearly and very succinctly. And he gives the Bible perspective in no uncertain terms. His name was Rabbi Shaul, or Rabbi Saul, commonly known as the Apostle Paul. Here's what he writes in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, addressing this question. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Very clearly here, according to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, is talking about what constitutes the true Israel in God's eyes. Very significant passage. It's not the only passage, we'll look at the other ones, but very significant here. He makes a distinction. He says he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, 
that is, you know, the circumcision, circumcision of the flesh. That is, a Jew is not just someone who adheres to the Jewish requirements under the Old Covenant, which are the, the main one of which is the circumcision and everything else that follows. So a Jew is not one outwardly by his practice, by his conduct, by his behavior. He's actually not one who is uh, by his lineage. He tells us clearly the Jew, the true Jew, is really one who is inwardly. There is something within, something spiritual. The circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the flesh. It's not the letter, whose praise is not of men, not seeking man's approval, man's approbation, man's support, but the approval and the praise of God. God regards those who have renewed hearts as true Israelites. The true Israel is the faithful Israel, the inheritors of God's promises. Now, this is repeated time and again as to how this is. What does this mean? Do we have any more information? We certainly do. Here's Galatians 3 and verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Today there is a dispute over a piece of land by those who claim to be the descendants and the children of Abraham. War is happening today over this issue. Biblically speaking, here are the children of Abraham. They're not children of Abraham according to the flesh. It's not because they have a, a, a blood a lineage or connection to Abraham. But it says here, they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Faith is the distinguishing factor, not which land you live on, not which passport you hold, not which citizenship or nation you belong to, not which cause you support or ideology that you subscribe to. None of these things. It is faith. Faith is the distinguishing factor. Now, this is vital to understand. This is the biblical perspective. Race or profession or political uh, allegiance or political belonging or lineage or genetics, uh, none of these things make for the children of Abraham. This is if you want to look at the issue from a biblical perspective, according to what we see in the New Testament. Therefore, Paul continues uh, a little later in the same chapter. Look at verse 29. Notice how he uh, concludes and says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ's, so faith is the distinguishing factor. We're talking now about the inward Jew, circumcision of the heart in the spirit, inwardly. That's what constitutes true Israel. Faith is the key ingredient and it's belonging to Christ. So in other words, it's faith in Christ or the faith of Christ. It is association with Christ. If you are Christ, then, now here's the condition, then are you Abraham's seed. Now let's state that in the inverse. If you are not Christ's, then are you still Abraham's seed? The answer is no, according to the Bible. Regardless of your, all these things that we looked at, your uh, genetics, your race, your profession, your citizenship, your allegiance, who you support loudly, and if you are Christ and therefore you are Abraham's seed, then says you are heirs according to the promise. The children of promise are those who put their faith in Jesus. They are the inheritors of the promise made in, to Abraham. You see, today the dispute is over this promise made to Abraham. Some people claim, well, they are the children of the promise made to Abraham and the promise made to Abraham involved a land. Therefore, they are the true 
possessors of the land. And there are many Christians who believe that. And they say, well, this is why the Jewish nation has every right uh, to do what they do and protect themselves, and we support them in whatever they do. This is the biblical perspective. We're seeing a contrast. I want to note something here. We're looking at Israel from God's perspective. And this is the perspective that matters if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. We're looking at things from God's perspective. How does God view things? Here it is. Being Christ's is what makes you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. You know, there's a, there's a, a common song. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the other Sabbath we were singing it with the children, the girls, and, and others and their friends. And what are we going to sing for worship? Oh, let's sing uh, Father Abraham Had Many Sons. You know that song? You might remember it if you, if you grew up in a Christian context. And the song has a lot of activity and, you know, Father Abraham had many sons and lift up your right hand and left hand and all these actions. And it's a lot of fun for the children. They love it. Okay, and, and you know, some of the adults, sometimes if the song goes on a little bit, we might start think, thinking this is getting a little bit silly or a little bit out of hand. The children love it. But here's the point. That song has a theological basis. The song says, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. And we all praise the Lord. The theological basis for that song is right here in these verses. Father Abraham had many sons. If we, you and I, or anyone, we're, as Gentiles, we're, we're, not, we're not related to Abraham necessarily. Anyone who believes is a child, is of the seed, of Abraham, the child of Abraham or Abraham's seed, and therefore an heir according to the promise. Israel, from God's perspective. Romans 9, 6 to 8, Paul goes on to say, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. As clear as day. Here is the perspective from God's eyes. Here is the biblical perspective. Not all who belong to Israel are Israel. Neither is it because of their lineage or descent from Abraham, literally. Actually, the promise is through Isaac in thy seed. Uh, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And then he identifies what that means. It's not the children of Abraham, even as Isaac was of the flesh and his descendants. No, it's the children of the promise because Isaac came about as a result of a miracle. You see, Isaac was not the product of Abraham's doing. I Isaac was not a natural offspring of Abraham. He was a miraculous offspring of Abraham. And this is illustrative. So what makes uh, Isaac significant in God's eyes is not just that he was born of Abraham, but he was born by a miracle of God. And so therefore, those who are in the same category as Isaac are not necessarily uh, so because they are born of, of that line or of that lineage, no, but because they come about as a result of that promise. That is, there is a miracle that takes place, faith, belonging to Christ, a new birth, and that is what constitutes them as children of the promise. And therefore, it says here, the last part of the verse, they are counted for the seed. That's how God counts. That's how God sees things. This is the true Israel of God according to the Bible. The children of promise. Now, having said this, I want to be careful 
<laughs> that I don't want to be misunderstood because in this atmosphere today, if, if you are deemed to be taking one side, you are immediately seen as opposing the other. Or even if you make any suggestion, it sounds like people just want to categorize you. I'm not quoting these verses in any way to, to put down any group of people. This is not against the, the Jewish nation as uh, uh, physical descendants of Abraham. This is not said to promote any anti-Semitism or to promote any side in this conflict. This is simply looking at the issue from God's perspective. What concerns God? How does God view things? Is how we should view things and not get distracted by how the world views things and how the world presents things to us. Even if many Christians get caught up in the uh, in the in playing uh, that game of taking sides, thinking that that is the right thing to do. God's perspective is what matters the most. To many people, it's inconceivable that God would reject the nation of Israel, the blood descendants of Abraham. And yet it's important to remember that God operates not just on a physical level or physical principle, but especially on a spiritual principle. Remember what Jesus said when he was here on earth. Here is a verse I want to uh, remind you of, of what Jesus said in Matthew 21 and verse 43. Jesus speaking says, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Jesus was speaking many times in parables. He was speaking to the Jewish leaders, the, the, the spiritual leaders, the representatives of the Jewish nation. And as a result of their rejection of him and the rejection of the truth of God, they would be disqualified. What would, be they, what would they be disqualified of? Possessing the kingdom of God or being members in the kingdom of God or playing a part in the kingdom of God. So he says the kingdom of God is not synonymous with the nation of Israel. That actually will be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Failure to bring forth the fruits of the kingdom of God disqualifies you from being in the kingdom and part of the kingdom. So the, the physical nation of Israel was in that danger, and Jesus gave them that warning. And that kingdom of God will be taken and given to others. Well, who are those others? Those others are the true Israel in God's eyes, the ones who bring forth the fruit of the kingdom of God. They are the people of God. They are the children of God. They are the children of promise. They are the true Israel, not the outward Israel, but the, the true Jews within the circumcision of the flesh and of the spirit. It is not surprising that in light of this, when Jesus was in his closing days of ministry, he told the Jewish nation, your house is left unto you desolate your house, the place which was generally and normally known as the house of God, the temple of God, where God put his name. God says, this is my temple. My name is there. Now, Jesus, in light of what the Jewish nation was doing, that is not bringing forth the fruits of the kingdom of God by rejecting the son of God, Jesus tells them, your house is left unto you desolate. Now it's your house and now it is desolate. What does desolate mean? I want you to think about that. Desolate means not occupied. You see, in the, the, the hub and the whole uh, focus of the Jewish nation was around the worship of God, which took place in the temple. The active ingredient in the temple of God, with all the different ceremonies, the priesthood and the animals and the sacrifices, what, what made the temple, the temple of God, was the presence of God. So when Jesus says, your house is left unto you desolate, empty, 
That means it is devoid of the presence of God. It's no longer now the house of God. It is your house. God's dwelling or God's presence will now be elsewhere. It will be with those who actually bring forth the fruits thereof. Those who believe, those who exercise faith, they are the children of promise. You see, today, much of the focus on the nation of Israel, to a large degree, has to do with the restoration of the worship of God in Israel. Particularly the Christians, the, the evangelical Christians, and, and a large segment of Christendom, uh, are all for the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of the temple in Israel. Well, I'll tell you what, the restoration of the temple does not mean a restoration of the true worship of God. Jesus said the house is left desolate. There is another temple, if you look at the New Testament carefully. It is not a temple made with bricks and stones. The habitation of God is no longer a physical structure, a building. It is God's own people. Now, in light of all of this, should we be looking at political Israel, the political nation of Israel, and concerned with that? Now, it's interesting. The news happens. We can't avoid it. But should we look at it from a perspective of importance in God's eyes? Where is God looking? We notice here from what we're finding, Israel in God's eyes is very different to what many people think and what many people imagine. It is not the Zionists and the nation of Israel. It is not a group of people who are genetically related to Abraham, not the Jews by blood. It's the children of promise, those who believe in Jesus. That is the true Israel. Now that's the answer to the first question. Which kind of already answers the second question that we have in our list. Are you looking to take your Bible study to the next level? Do you want to learn how to apply the Word of God in your daily life and share it more effectively with others? My Bible Academy is your online Bible school, offering a free, comprehensive, and dynamic program designed to deepen your understanding and engagement with the Bible. Take the next step in your spiritual growth and enroll to start a course at My Bible Academy today. The courses are designed to equip you with the tools and knowledge you need to share your faith with others. Visit nadamansour.com to enroll and start your learning journey today. That's nadamansour.com. See you there. And question number two we looked at is getting an Israeli citizenship. Is that possible? And if so, how? Now, obviously, and hopefully now you can see that I'm not referring to being naturalized and receiving a passport of the state of Israel. We answered it already, but here is how Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that, verses 11 to 13. Wherefore remember that ye being in, in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He recalls their uh, background. They are Gentiles in the flesh. They're not considered part of Israel. They're not considered part of the commonwealth of Israel. But he says now, here is what makes a difference. In Jesus Christ, you were strangers and you were far off, but you are brought close by Jesus Christ. What does this, clo what does this closeness entail? Just a, a few verses later, notice how he puts it. And I find this very beautiful and very encouraging. In verse 19, he says, Now therefore, 
ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. These Gentiles, through Christ, through faith in Christ, they are brought near and they receive citizenship. They become fellow citizens with the saints. Paul was one such citizen, and we'll see what his citizen, citizenship was based on. But now he says, these Gentiles who are not Israelites, in other words, they are not descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. They are not part of the commonwealth of Israel. Now through Christ, they are brought close and they are made citizens. They are actually fellow citizens. What does that mean? There's no second class citizenship, right? There's no apartheid, there is no separation, there is no uh, secondary uh, rate or, or lower class and higher class. No, they are fellow citizens. Meaning what? Equal citizens. Equal citizens of what? Well, what he just finished talking about in the previous verses. They are citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. They receive citizenship. They now are part of Israel, equal part as any other Israelite who is not just genetically by, uh, by, faith, uh, by lineage from Abraham, but by faith accepts Christ as Paul was. What constitutes a citizenship in God's true Israel is faith in Christ, not a citizenship in a nation politically and not a genetic uh, lineage. Now, Paul made this very clear. Look at Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul had no confidence in the flesh. The reason for his belonging as part of the commonwealth of Israel was not based on the flesh. He says, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no trust in the flesh. I don't boast that I'm an Israelite because of the flesh. Here is my boast. I worship God in the spirit. I rejoice in Christ Jesus. That is what constitutes being a member of the true Israel. That is how you have citizenship in the true Israel of God. Let me tell you something. That is the citizenship that actually matters above any other citizenship that exists in this world. And there are pr plenty of citizenships and the war between nations is the war between the citizens of one nation and another nation. Particularly, I know it's the leaders of, of these nations. Not every citizen of the nation necessarily is in the war or even approves if their nation goes to war. I realize that. But the citizenship that really matters is the one that Paul talks about here. It is based not on the flesh, not, not on any of these things. It is based on, in this verse, two things. Faith in Christ is what he summarized before. But notice how he describes it. And this is an interesting component. Paul says he worships God in the spirit. He rejoices in Christ Jesus. That's it. Father and Son. And because he worships the Father, he rejoices in the Son. He has citizenship in Israel, even though he was a, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. And he says this offer is made to all the Gentiles. They can be brought near if they also are in the same category. That is, they worship God in the Spirit. They rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in Christ Jesus is having the faith that constitutes them being in Christ and makes them children of the promise. What's the point here? The true Israel of God is based on knowing the Father and the Son. There is no one else required to know. You don't need to know anyone else. And this harmonizes perfectly with what Jesus says, that eternal life is to know the Father and His Son. This is exactly what John said. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And there are so many other verses 
but this is not my topic for today. I'm just mentioning this as a side note. Citizenship in the Commonwealth of Israel, what constitutes the true Israel in God's eyes, is worshiping God in the Spirit and rejoicing in Christ Jesus. This is how Paul indicated that very clearly. Now I want you to let this reality, let this truth sink into your mind just for a minute. You and I, as Gentiles, we can be citizens too, through Christ and in Christ. We are made members of the household of God. We can be part of God's true Israel and have equal citizenship at no disadvantage, with no lower class tiered system. Fellow citizens. That is how you can get a citizenship of Israel according to the Bible. Now this brings us to our next question, which is the mystery of God. What am I talking about? What's this mystery of God? I didn't say too much about this question, but there is a mystery of God that has been revealed that has to do with this question and addresses that. Here's how the Apostle Paul also talks about that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Now note carefully how this develops and how you start seeing a very clear picture and perspective uh, come before us. Verse 3, he says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He's talking about God revealing to him a mystery. Verse 5, he continues, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what's he talking about? What's this mystery that wasn't known before that is now revealed? Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I put it to you that this mystery is still an unknown mystery to so many people today, so many Christians who think that the Israel of God is constituted by a genetic lineage or a, uh, or a certain political nation or state. Paul says here, this is a, a deep spiritual truth. It's a mystery. It wasn't known before. Now it is revealed by the Spirit. And it is this, the Gentiles are destined to be fellow heirs. You know what's another word for fellow heirs? It, fellow heirs means co-inheritors, okay? co-inheritors, or in other words, fellow citizens. Ch heirs according to the promise, children of promise, true Israel. This is what he's talking about. The Gentiles are planned by God to be part of true Israel. In other words, from God's perspective, true Israel is not based on race or genetics. True Israel is based on all the elements we saw earlier. And this is a mystery. It wasn't really fully clearly revealed or known. And so many people haven't realized that yet. And they're still focused on the physical nation of Israel. And when issues develop, when uh, conflict erupts, when war breaks out, they take sides based on how they see things. And they start thinking that this is this has prophetic significance because now we're dealing with the nation of Israel, God's favorite people. Here is the nation of Israel as far as God is concerned. God said, you know what? The nation of Israel is going to be something that is available or what constitutes it is going to be something that even the Gentiles can partake of. It's not limited to those who are Israel of the flesh. They will be fellow heirs of the same body. They will partake of his promise in Christ. How? By the gospel. 
Now, this truth was so hard to understand for the Israelites, for the Jews, even for the Jews who accepted Jesus, even for the, for the disciples of Jesus, this was hard for them to understand. Notice how Jesus uh, tries to explain this to them and notice their misunderstanding. Here are the disciples speaking with Jesus after the resurrection. And here's what they tell him, recorded in Acts 1, verses 6 to 8. I find this story amazing. <laughs> listen, listen to what it says. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Wow, there is a whole sermon in these verses alone. We will not do a whole sermon. But notice the mentality and perspective of the disciples. They were still keen on a restoration of the nation of Israel, the political, national, state or nation of Israel to have power and authority because they were downtrodden by the Romans. So now that Jesus has risen, they're saying, Lord, will you do this now, finally? Because that's our expectation. Will you at this time restore again the kingdom and the dominion of Israel or restore the kingdom, uh, again, the kingdom to Israel? Now, in the disciples' minds, the kingdom of Israel was synonymous with the kingdom of God because that was the nation of God. They were the people of God. There was the temple of God. That's where the worship of God takes place. And so it makes sense for the restoration of Israel to be equivalent in their minds to the restoration of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus gives them an answer here that's very significant. He says, listen, there are times and there are seasons set by God's own power. And it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And yet he answers their question in a way that they don't expect. He tells them they will receive the power of the Spirit. They will be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, in, Sam in Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's Jesus' answer? Jesus is answering them how he is restoring the kingdom to Israel. It's not limited by a political boundary. It's not limited by a geographical boundary. It's not limited to a physical people after the flesh, children of Abraham. It incorporates the whole world. It includes the Gentiles. And the disciples were slow to understand that even after the resurrection of Jesus. They still misunderstood the scope of how much he is the savior of the world. And through him, there is a blessing for the whole world. They still focused only on the nation of Israel and the restoration of the nation of Israel. Jesus tells them, listen, this is a global scope, but you need to have the power of the Spirit. And that is really how the kingdom of Israel is restored and is made up and is built up. It's that mystery of the Gentiles belonging to that nation. And so, uh, sure enough, in the book of Acts, we see a record of what continues to happen after that. Uh, the power of the Spirit received by the disciples, they go and they become witnesses. But even as they witness in the book of Acts, you will notice a very interesting transition. They begin to witness only to fellow Jews. And it takes divine intervention uh, in, in, in a variety of ways to actually get it through to them that they need to actually preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And when the gospel began going to the Gentiles, the disciples were shocked. They were surprised. And some of them were in disbelief because all the while they thought, Salvation and the kingdom is all about Israel and the children of Abraham. Jesus is our Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah. 
The restoration of the kingdom of Israel, salvation is all about Israel, and they only preached the gospel to those who were Israelites. They didn't fully get it. Jesus here spelled it out. There is witnessing that needs to happen to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Gentiles will become fellow citizens, fellow heirs, members equally in that body. And when Jesus here talks about the times and the seasons, I want us to note something here. He says, the Father has set these things in his power. He says in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And he gave this answer in relation to the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He says there are times and there are seasons set in God's power. This point helps us figure out the answer to the next question. The next question we have in our list is, what are the times of the Gentiles? Well, what am I talking about? It's an interesting verse here. Jesus mentions in Luke 21, 24. It usually comes up in this context. I want to address it. I want to deal with it. Jesus speaking says, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Speaking about the Jewish nation. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So this is what our question deals with. What are these times of the Gentiles? What does that mean? And remember, the Father has set in his own power the times and the seasons. Clearly, according to Jesus here, there is going to be a time or the times of the Gentiles and they will be fulfilled. And during that time, during the times of the Gentiles, uh, what will uh, a precursor to that is Jerusalem will be trodden under uh, trodden down of the Gentiles. There will be a scattering of the Jewish nation and Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You know, this verse has given rise to a lot of uh, theories, a lot of ideas, and a lot of interpretations. There are many people who believe when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, then Jerusalem will be rebuilt and restored as a center for the worship of God, with the temple and where God is worshipped. But I want us to notice something. What follows the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled? What event follows after? Because the people assume, well, if Jerusalem is trodden down under the, under the Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, therefore Jerusalem will be restored and rebuilt again. And in their thinking, like the disciples, this has to do with the geographical location of Israel and the geographical city of Jerusalem. But notice what Jesus says happens after the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's only a few verses later, verse 27. He says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled when Jesus comes a second time. I want us to get this. Let, let this sink in. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled when Jesus comes a second time. What follows is not a rebuilding of the nation uh, of Israel or the city of Jerusalem. It's actually the second coming of Christ. That's, what, uh, that's, the, that's the duration. And remember, this is set by the Father in his own power. God has set these times and seasons in his own power. This is how God has revealed what things are like, the times of the Gentiles. They extend until the coming of Christ. That's when they are fulfilled. The coming of Christ is really the end. That's the end of the world. That's the end of the world. There is no restoration of a nation or a state of Israel as far as God's timeline is concerned. 
there is an expansion that happened that incorporates a global picture, no longer limited to one group of people, physically or genetically, and one particular geographic location. This is God's perspective. This is the times of the Gentiles. Why am I saying that Jesus' second coming, second coming of Christ is really the end? Because Jesus said as much. Here is Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. What is Jesus talking about here? The times of the Gentiles and when they will be fulfilled. So the times of the Gentiles is when the gospel of the kingdom, notice now the gospel of the kingdom, the disciples asked Jesus about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Here is Jesus saying, listen, this gospel of the kingdom is preached, not just to Jews, not just in Israel, but in all the world for a witness with the power of the Holy Spirit that he said, it will go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That period of time, while Jerusalem is trodden down by the Gentiles, is known as the times of the Gentiles. In other words, this is the time where God is gathering his family of true Israel from among all people, all nations, from among the Gentiles. And whosoever is gathered in by believing in Christ, by being a, a, a child of promise, by exercising faith, whosoever is gathered in constitutes true Israel. And that time period is known as the times of the Gentiles. And that will continue until it is fulfilled. And it is fulfilled when the Son of Man comes. Here it is. Here's the fulfillment of it according to this verse. Witnesses. Uh, the gospel is preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. What is the end that comes? That's the end marked by the second coming of Christ. The end of what? The end of the world. The end of the times of the Gentiles. The end of God gathering up his people, the true Israel. You know, when it says here, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. The, world for, the, the word for world here is nations, all nations, a witness unto all nations, as it says here. That's Gentiles. This is the times of the Gentiles. This concludes with the second coming of Christ. This is known as the end, when the gospel is preached to everyone. This is the mystery that many Jewish believers in the Messiah found hard to understand, even in the time of Christ. Some of the disciples found this hard to understand. Some of the disputes in the church, the early apostolic church, was over misunderstanding this particular point. Now, there's another verse that is often linked with the times of the Gentiles. I want to address it here as well because it's in Romans chapter 11. And in light of what we found, hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense. Verse 25, Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Paul talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. A lot of people think what follows after the fullness of the Gentiles coming in is different kinds of events, different kinds of prophetic events. But notice, he says here, there is blindness in, in part that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Well, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in during the times of the Gentiles. Jesus says the times of the Gentiles, they will extend until they be fulfilled. He tells us what fulfills that. He tells us what follows after. It's his second coming. He tells us it's the preaching of the gospel. Then the end will come. That's the time of the gathering of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. It's in this way that all of God's true Israel are actually saved. This is how all the Israel of God are gathered together, made up, and saved. 
it's when all those who will actually exercise faith and believe in Jesus. They respond to the invitation of the gospel. God will gather a complete harvest of his saved people from all nations. This is the fullness of the Gentiles that comes in during the times of the Gentiles. Like I said, it culminates in the second coming of Christ. A lot of people imagine that the, after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, certain prophetic events will happen. And they think these prophetic events are actually biblical. Some people think that a secret rapture will follow. But there is no secret rapture according to the Bible. The second coming of Christ is no secret. It's a very visible, uh, audible uh, event that cannot be missed. What follows the fullness of the Gentiles coming in is not a restoration of the nation of Israel. It is actually the end. There's no rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem to be a center of worship for the true God. I want to clarify this point. I'm not saying the temple in Jerusalem will never be rebuilt. It could very well be rebuilt, but that will not constitute a fulfillment of any prophecy because that house has been left desolate. What makes the temple worship meaningful is the presence of God. God's presence now is among his people, the true Israel. We saw who that is. So there is no significant prophetic relevance to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem because that stems from a misunderstanding of the Israel of God. It's not the nation. It is all those who are the children of promise. And most definitely, the fullness of the Gentiles is not followed by a millennial reign of Christ on earth so that the Jewish nation can be saved, as many people imagine. These are, are doctrines that have infiltrated Christendom to distract from the real issues. So what are the real issues? So bring it all closer together. We close it now and bring it all together. What does this mean for you and me today? This is our final question. What, what is the relevance of all of this for us? What are we really talking about here? Well, hopefully you have seen as we have progressed that we have a great and high calling. We have an incredible invitation. We have a, a citizenship that we can receive in Christ. This is really the gospel message. This is really righteousness by faith. Let me put it to you in the words of Paul, and this will be a, a beautiful thought to, to conclude with. In Galatians 3, verses 26 onward, he says, For ye are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no preference, there is no advantage, there is no uh, higher status based on race or based on gender. We are all fellow heirs, we are all fellow citizens, recipients of the gospel message. This is how we receive the righteousness of God by faith. When he says here, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Children of God. This is the kingdom of God. This is the children of promise. This is the Israel of God. This is referring to the people who partake of the righteousness that only God can give. Not a righteousness of the law, not a righteousness that comes about because of pride of national identity or belonging, as Paul made very clear that that's not the case. No, this is the righteousness that comes from God by faith in Christ. You know, we talk a lot about righteousness by faith. Here it is. Many times righteousness by faith is overcomplicated. And some people, you know, you, you, believers, Christians, are sometimes discouraged and despondent in their walk because they feel that righteousness by faith is beyond them. It's too complicated for them, hard to understand. They are failing. Let me remind you of something. 
faith in Christ Jesus, trust fully and completely in him. That's what makes you a, citizens, a citizen of God's kingdom. <clears throat> it's not as complicated as, as people make, out, uh, make it out to be. If you have full confidence and trust in Jesus, you submit to him, you follow him, you are a citizen in his kingdom. Don't rescind your citizenship. Don't, don't throw your citizenship out. Stop questioning it. Stop doubting it. Stop wondering if you, if you qualify or not based on what you do or don't do. Look at what Christ has done for you. Now, I'm not saying this to give a license for sin and to live as you will. Live as a citizen, but remember your true identity. Be confident in your king, King Jesus, your prince of peace. Because we really have to ask a question in light of what's happening. And, and we see the war and turmoil and it, it, it looks like it's growing and, and will get worse. And people start getting worried. How is your faith doing during times of turmoil? Call to mind your true identity and your citizenship. This is who we belong to, brothers and sisters. This is the true Israel of God. God is keeping his eye on his people. Are you keeping your eye on him? Or are you getting distracted by all the things that are happening and doubts come in and questioning and, and you end up actually uh, operating and behaving in a way that does not resemble a citizen of the kingdom? That's why I'm saying righteousness by faith is not a complicated thing. It means belonging to Christ and having implicit trust and faith in him. It's not presumption and it is definitely not a license to sin and live as you will. Live as, as a citizen of the kingdom. I want to remind you of what it means to be a citizen. Right Today in, 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 the, in the war, there are people stuck in Gaza who have uh, a dual citizenship. Right, They are citizens of other countries like the US or or Britain or other nations. And they are trusting and hoping that their nations will come and deliver them and rescue them and, and be able to get out of the exit. And there's all kinds of talk about you know uh, the nations collecting their citizens. And sometimes they fail in that, the nations and the people complain. And, and I want you to think about this in a spiritual perspective. Spiritually, we are citizens of God's kingdom. He is our president. He is our king. President to, to do the equivalent, but he's our king. He's actually better than that. He's our father. We are his responsibility. We belong to him. Trust in him. He does not fail in bringing his people home. Just remember your identity. Remember your citizenship. Let your faith be firm and unwavering. If you stumbled, you've fallen, okay, you know the way back, but stop living in a state of doubt and uncertainty and turmoil within and questioning your acceptance and your standing with God. If you have accepted Christ, you are a citizen of his kingdom. You are God's responsibility. You are God's problem. And he is a good problem solver. He is the best one, actually. That's the, the expertise of Jesus. He's an expert savior and he specializes in hopeless cases. If you feel this way, just remember, your identity. This is what the new covenant is about. This is what the new birth is about. This is what the Apostle Paul is concerned with. Do we understand the real issues at play? Where is your focus when the news bombards us and we see all these uh, different uh, loyalties and, and different uh, voices uh, saying we, we are with this and we are with that? Sometimes that can perturb us. Beware of the distraction of the news. Beware of the distraction of uh, that which professes to be Israel. You know, in the Bible, 
The Bible talks about Jews who are not real Jews, professed Jews. And I'm not saying the statement to, to cast aspersion on Jews or, or to justify any hatred of any group of people. I'm saying simply what prophecy declares. Mere profession or genetic lineage is not what constitutes the Israel of God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was here on earth, speaking to the genetic descendants of Abraham, he told them that if God was really their father, they would accept him. In rejecting him and not accepting him and, and conspiring to murder him, they were carrying out the dictates of Satan. So genetic lineage does not guarantee anything. Profession does not guarantee anything. How are you doing? Where is your stand? How should we respond in light of the things that are happening? You know, I talked about two sides here and the war. And sometimes people will ask and say, well, which, which side are you on? Now, I intentionally, I'm not taking one side or another in this conflict because this is, this is a war between two sides who are really on the same side. I realize that many people are eager to rally with one side or the other. Now, let me, let me tell you very clearly, here is the side that I'm on. I'm on the side of the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of love and peace, the kingdom of forgiveness, the kingdom of God. That's where my allegiance is. The leader that I follow is the Prince of Peace. The cause that I support is the kingdom of his grace. And the people that I support are all those who are in need. This is our outlook if we want to be biblical Christians. Beware of getting caught up in the politics of this world and how this world runs. I am definitely not on the side of hate and revenge and retaliation murder, bloodshed, and death, no matter who is doing it. You know, so many times today people are asked, you know, which side are you taking? And, and they justify the killing from one side and they condemn the killing from the other side. And the battle continues. And, and this is, and people take sides and people feel so strongly and this is how the world is divided. And many times as Christians, as believers, there is a tendency to get drawn into one side or the other. I want you to think about it. Whoever is committing these acts is actually on the same side. Both sides are operating in the same way. Hatred, bloodshed, murder, pain, death, loss, and suffering. Look, I'll be honest with you. I've seen heartbreaking stories from both sides. Okay, My heart goes out to them. There is pain. There is loss. It is heart-wrenching. It's a terrible tragedy of loss. For, for, for people who have lost a loved one, whatever uh, identity they might claim, whatever side they might be on, there is much grief and pain. And naturally, your sympathies are drawn to whichever side you, you are watching or you are viewing or you are seeing. So you see a battle and a contest of trying to show which side is, is losing more to, wane, uh, to win public sympathy and affection. Of course, my sense of justice is enraged when seeing some of these atrocities. But you have to stop and realize something. It's the same story on both sides. It's the same story. You know what that means? It's all really the same side. It's the side of warfare. It's the side of retaliation. It's the side of revenge and bloodshed. It's the side that is apart from Christ. We have to see things in their true perspective. I don't say this to be heartless towards the, the, what's happening. I, like I said, my heart goes out to all who lose loved ones who suffer in this atrocity. War and bloodshed, brothers and sisters, are the signs 
that Jesus gave of the nearness of the end. We are to expect more war and more turmoil. It will get worse because we are getting close to the end. How is it with you in light of all of this? Where are you looking? Where are you focused? When you understand things correctly, biblically, from the right perspective, you can exercise faith more firmly. I pray, I pray that seeing things from God's perspective and the Israel of God and what is promised to us will encourage and inspire your faith. Don't be distracted by the news. I'm not saying cut off and, and be aloof and don't care about what's happening in the world. Just don't be distracted by it. Remember the true Israel of God from his perspective. You and I are part of the fellow citizens. How are we behaving in this world? I pray that the Lord will inspire you, will encourage you, will uplift you as a child of God and to know what we truly have in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer and that is my hope. If you are blessed by this message, please share it with others. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.